Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As always, my name is Laura Boyle, and I'm your host. Today, we're here to talk about polyamory and DS, or dominant and submissive relationships. As many of you know, I am pretty involved in my local kink communities and have been for about 15 years. And so this is a big part of my life, and these kinds of relationships are part of that for me. So it's a topic that I hold pretty near and dear to my heart, as well as something that mm, several of my readers have sort of expressed finding interesting in the time that I've been doing the blog and have mentioned this offhand. It's been a couple of years since we addressed this on the podcast in any way. Uh, previously, we had an episode about kink in season five. Um, and so today we're going to talk more specifically about DS relationships. That's a topic that I occasionally teach classes on. For today's episode, I'm joined by Sinclair Sexsmith, who is a queer trans butch, a leather dominant, and a writer whose work focuses on individual, interpersonal, and institutional systems of power. I'm really excited for you guys to hear how our conversation went. Just as a content warning before we get into it, we do, throughout the episode, talk somewhat explicitly about kink, about dynamics and some sexuality that's involved in those dynamics. So if any of that is uncomfortable for you, please protect yourself and don't listen to the episode. I'm marking the episode as explicit. So in some podcast hosts, that'll be like flagged for you already. But in case it wasn't on yours, be aware this is not one to listen to with the kids in the room. Um, some of my episodes are, but many aren't. And uh, because Sinclair is an erotica writer, we do get into that a little bit toward the end of the episode. But in general, we're talking about power, power exchange, how that ends up influencing our polyamorous relationship networks. And what about that is sort of unique to polyamorous relationships and relationship networks. And what about it is all sort of the same as other polyamorous relationships. Um, and we had a pretty good time chatting about it. I hope you guys have a pretty good time listening to it. So thank you so much for coming and chatting with me today. It is my pleasure. I'm excited to chat. Spoken just sort of very broadly about coming and talking about polyamory and DS relationships. And I know that you recently taught a class series about this. And I think you guys had uh, called this like series of talks something about the polyamory paradox, something like this, about how polyamory and DS seem to be paradoxical to one another. Right, right. So uh, Marsha Baczynski and I, Marsha B, and I co-created a class called Paradox, uh, the, the, the Paradox of Polyamory and Power Exchange. Um, and we've led that a couple times this year in 2023. Um, and I've led it a couple times on my own as well. And um, and Marsha's led it a couple times on her own. And then Marsha and I did then a series of a uh, discussion group series that was six months long where we met once a month and just had a different kind of topic to, to generally talk about. And um, we, you know, we had mixed attendance. Sometimes it was a lot of folks, sometimes it was less folks and, and that was lovely, but it was much more casual than the class, but uh, a wide variety of folks who had been to the class and then just other folks who had found us you know, from lots of other places, uh, hooking in and having, having chats about what it's like to be in uh, the, in the intersection of polyamory and power exchange. Um, and like lots of different kinds of polyamory, right? Lots of different kinds of power exchange. So in some ways it's all very individual and unique 
to like the particular situation, but then in other ways, there's some overarching themes that definitely uh, I see repeated. Yeah, I know every time I end up either teaching a class about this or noticing that there's one at a conference that I'm at and going to it, um, I end up finding that they're super well attended, right? This is something that folks are really intrigued by if it's something that they are doing or something that they're thinking about doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so it feels like even if it's something that folks are kind of grappling with, right, that they're worried that this idea of dominance and submission or of power exchange uh, might be at odds with the amount of autonomy that's needed to do non-monogamy in a kind of way that seems like it's in line with their values, they're still really intrigued by it and they're trying really hard to grapple with it and figure out what way feels most comfortable for them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think there are, I mean, just like with polyamory or with DS kind of by themselves, um, I don't think you can really pre-think through all the things that might possibly come up and like put things in place to make sure that you just have the smoothest time ever, right? Like there's always going to be things that come up, but um, I think there are some things that you can think through in advance and, and, uh, and ponder and, you know, discuss with a partner or partners and like, and that will support it to be more smooth. Um, you can't, I, I still think there are always going to be variables. Like, I don't think you can ever kind of um, just do enough thought experiments that it, that you'll never have something go wonky. But uh, there, I think I'm seeing a lot of patterns for sure about like ways that it could be smoother. Um, I don't know. And I also think that like, having things go wonky you know quote unquote I don't know <laughs> there's probably some more uh uh elegant phrase to use there but that's just that's what's in my brain right now um I, I think learning how to like deal with things and not freak out when things go wonky or go sideways is also part of both what polyamory has taught me and what DS and power exchange has taught me for sure right figuring out our own coping skills for when sort of the best laid plans of mice and men don't work out yeah yeah is really important right because life is never going to not give us chances to demonstrate our resilience mm, that's a great sentence life is never going to not give us chances to demonstrate our resilience yeah absolutely and so many folks i mean i i think myself included like i I don't think I learned a lot of resiliency growing up. I think I learned a lot of like protection and like keeping myself safe, but that's not quite the same as trying and messing up and, tr and getting back in the, on the wagon, in the horse, whatever that mm -hmm. metaphor is. <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. And I think as somebody who was like very much the gifted kid stereotype, Personally, there was a lot of, if you failed at this, you are the failure, so how dare you, that didn't mm. teach me a lot of resiliency, that I failed yeah. more as an adult and in kink spaces and in polyamorous relationships. And I think in some ways, combining those and having it go badly taught me a lot of things that 
I don't know if other relationship structures would have, right? Like yes. trying to combine these multiple relationships and having it go really badly and having to figure out what I was going to do with having negotiated poorly and figuring out what I was going to do with having two partners who both wanted to be daddy at the same time and not knowing what to do about mm. wanting them both to be right. Mm -hmm. But wanting that to be so, but differently for both of them, right? mm -hmm. having to quantify to both of them or qualify to both of them, what that meant and why that was different, but how it was important to me mm -hmm. taught me a lot about emotional self-expression and having that still fall apart anyway mm. and having that emotional grieving process taught me a lot about how like my life wasn't going to fall apart because some relationships did mm. Mm -hmm. None totally of that was easy but all of sure. it was valuable yeah guys i've just opened with a lot of uh, sort of difficulty and like oh no worst case scenario that you might be thinking is like all oh, this polyamory stuff is all hard it's not all hard. Sometimes it goes really well. I'm not telling you that your relationships are impossible and that you can't do this or that you can't do this if your partners want the same honorific, right? Like all things are possible. Yes. You need to be better at negotiation than I was when I was 22. Um. <laughs> it's true. And they might be able to, you know, learn some things from what you learned, right? Like, and, and that is, uh, that is absolutely how I learned uh, the, well, maybe not all, but a large part of what I um, teach and share in the Paradox series and, and just, and in my coaching work where I work one-on-one -on -one with people and like in, in all of my work really is, is trial and error. <laughs> and, um, and that, and that's some chunk of it. I don't know, is it 50% maybe, but then the other 50% is just my, you know, uh, obsessive nerdery about these topics and listening to podcasts and reading books and talking to people and going to conferences and going to workshops and you know the just like absorbing as much as I can of what other people know and what other people have learned and surrounding myself with smart friends who you know talk to me about deeply about their um mishaps and successes right so like it's not all I don't take all the credit for it like tons of almost everything I know practically right it like it's we're it's through a lineage that like, I didn't really make up any of this uh yeah right we're so. getting tons of it by osmosis and from our communities and all of this right right now you mentioned that there are a lot of patterns that you're seeing do you mind sharing some of them or some of the ones that you're seeing that are the most prominent so that folks have some sense of like what some of these most common either mishaps or most common like things they can do that help things go smoothly are and can you tell me which one you're picking so that i don't ask these two opposite things at once yes yes um i think one of the things that that i will actually claim is like my idea and um and that has been a framework for a ton of the work um of the of the of the intersection uh, right of polyamory and and ds uh is the idea that i call the outermost bracket which um which i have a, a blog post for up on sugar Butch, so i'll send you the link for the show notes too uh and it's it's basically the idea of like 
um, I mean, the outermost bracket is kind of an HTML uh, uh, reference, um, but you could think of it as like nested boxes or something, right? Like which boxes it was within the other box? And is your DS inside of your polyamory or is your polyamory inside of your DS? And, and, th and this is not a perfect model, right? It's a little bit of a binary model even. Um, so like people's individual circumstances are widely varied, but you can take this concept and expand it and, and extrapolate on it in whatever way fits, I think, your, you know, someone's personal uh, situation. Um, but you know, when when DS is the outermost bracket or when the power exchange is the outermost bracket, it can sometimes, sometimes, not always, but it can mean that the dominant, for example, in that relationship could have uh, some level of access or control over over the open relationship agreements, um, that the dominant could loan the submissive out, that the dominant could... Um, uh, dictate what kind of partners that relationship has in what kind of ways. Um, the uh, often, Sometimes people with DS as their outermost bracket, the dominant would say, um, I am not going to make any rules about the open relationship. Like we are going to navigate that from two autonomous, uh, as two autonomous beings, right? Um, but I could. And we both know and acknowledge that I could if I wanted to, or, or maybe maybe even like the submissive wants them to, and they're saying, "I'm not going to. That's not, that's not what I want to do, right?" Um, or, or maybe there's one or two guidelines and not like big ones, right? Um, and uh, when someone has polyamory or or some sort of open relationship structure as their outermost bracket, the DS falls underneath that so a, a dominant wouldn't be making any specific rules protocol you know procedures in the relationship that would um i mean ideally <laughs> impact other partners of course things impact other partners in all ways right but like uh just like having another partner has an impact so um the the DS will still still has a possibility of having impact, but they couldn't necessarily say, I'm in charge of, you know, whether or not you have other partners, I'm in charge of what how you have other partners or who they are or what kind of relationships they are. Um, and, you know, I think that the majority of people who I have um, seen in workshops and, uh, you know, who have been part of this paradox series, it's probably at least two thirds uh, of folks are are the polyamory as the outermost bracket. I think that's more common um, in, well, but it kind of depends on what communities you're looking at, right? It depends on um, where you're drawing people. Yes, exactly. But, but it, at general like kink conferences and I've taught this for Wicked Grounds and um, a couple other places online, like it seems to be, very common that it's roughly two-thirds or maybe even three-quarters of folks are more way more likely to be polyamory as the outermost bracket um and and i think there's some obvious kind of reasons for that where um when we get into the zone of uh a dominant having <coughs> excuse me when we get into the the areas of a dominant exercising control over 
the the polyamory arrangement or agreements um we can it can get really sticky it can build a lot of resentment it can feel really quote unfair i mean i don't think anybody gets into ds because it's fair quote unquote but like there's still <laughs> some way that like we want it to feel you know right and good and um i think the you know when people have like a a pretty big desire to for their sexuality to be controlled or like for their sex sex life or kink life to be controlled then yes maybe that works but um there's an awful lot of like well you have another partner why can't I have another partner or you know I'm not just the many challenges that come up when when that gets act um exercised I think uh and that is probably a whole other section of like (laughs) what what kinds of skills to build and what um what kind of patterns that I've seen in that particular thing and that and that has been for me uh DS has been the outermost bracket uh for a long time so that has definitely been a focus of mine just personally trying to build those skills and figure out you know to what degree I want or or am willing to handle the fallout of (laughs) exercising the control over the open relationships. Yeah, I think for a lot of folks, the biggest point of conflict comes when one portion of a network wants one part of that relationship to be a further out bracket than the other, right? When you get like one dyad that's established with like the DS is the outermost bracket and say that dominant gets a new partner, but in the new partnership, in that relationship, the polyamory is the outermost bracket and it changes the balance of how the relationship as a whole feels because in the network, in the polycule, that starts making it feel like, oh, maybe the polyamory should be the outermost bracket if the polyamory is the outermost bracket in these other relationships you're having right? It can really change the balance within a whole network when in some of your relationships, this balance is different. And like, usually when I'm conceiving of it, I don't think of it in that binary of two brackets switching places, but that's a really interesting way to think of it. I tend to look at it in what has now become kind of an old fashioned way, because this book is more than 10 years old now, the Raven Caldera's power circuits, the like five or six areas that he lists that you can have control over. And like two of them are about emotional and physical relationships with other people. Right. And so whether or not you have control over those areas is independent of whether or not the dominant has control over things like what the submissive wears or does in terms of kink or does in terms of daily routine or things like this, right? And so if you're breaking up your life into like different buckets like this, and I'm like oversimplifying it a little just so that folks can kind of follow on the podcast even if they haven't read the book. Um, But like, if you're considering it kind of that way and you're looking at different kind of buckets that your control can fall into or not, and often when I'm talking with people about it, I'm like, hey, we can even get more granular than that what areas of control do you actually want to negotiate and which ones don't you? And are you okay if they're different between your different relationships or are you not okay with that? Because some people are okay with them being different if some of the relationships are nested and some of them aren't, 
But if all of them aren't, they kind of want them all to be similar because that comparison gets difficult in people's heads. Mm. Right? And for some people, that doesn't matter because the comparison isn't the point. Right. And so, yeah, I think the individuals, right? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And I think that's where I was going with that too, was I think the areas of control is another um, big topic in the Paradox series that Marsha and I've done and also in in my work as a coach and with uh, both with poly and, polyamorous and, and like monogamous folks yeah, um, just who are working within general, DS. That is the biggest, I think, not the biggest maybe, but it's up there, <laughs> right? With well, with DS, I think yeah. when when someone is under someone else's control in in some way, is it, it whether it's in scene or not? Like, what can they, what can they possibly have control over, and how do they exercise that control? And so those are those are some of the other pieces that um, that I've talked about a lot in this in this series. Um, and I'll I'll send you. I have a. A couple of like tools for that too and blog posts i'll send that for the for the show notes um and uh the other thing about areas of control then is especially with polyamory is what areas of control are going to impact other partners and what are you going to do if you think an area of control is not going to impact other partners and then it does, right? Like how, how flexible are your areas of control? Um, and for me, I think it took a while to kind of drill down and think about um, uh, kind of in the nonviolent communication kind of strategy method way of like, what's the need and what's the strategy. And so areas of control for me are a strategy to just con control someone, to exercise control, to play with control. It's not necessarily that I need control or like that, like the thing itself that I'm controlling is the point as much as the point is to feel controlling and someone else to feel being controlled right so like I'm way more invested in knowing uh what challenges come up uh around any area of control or any particular you know protocol or or, or rule that I've made um and ad and adopt adapting them adapting them so that like it's not negative negatively impacting other relationships um you know if the if the person that i'm in a relationship with like if it's if it's impacting other relationships that's not inherently bad or wrong but if it's causing stress you know harm to that relationship if it's like Im impeding that relationship from growing in the whatever ways that it wants to grow you know like those are things that matter to me as I mean, as a dominant, but also just as a partner, right? Like to to just be, because I'm just, I'm very invested in other people's and my own uh, growth, basically. Right. And you so like- To cause stress or harm. So if you discover that choices that you guys are making as a relationship are then causing stress and harm as ripple effects, you're going to want to make different choices. Exactly. And there are lots of things that I can be that I can have control over. Um, and if this one particular thing is causing stress or harm, uh, w whether or not it's, you know, just to a submissive themselves or to 
a submissive in their other relationships and other, you know, connections or their work or whatever it is, right? Like that, I want that feedback. I want to, to know what the impact is of the control that I'm having. Um, and I want it to stay, you know, positive of center. Like, I, I don't always want it to be easy. I'm not trying to say it's supposed to be like just a walk in the positive park. Or different. Exactly, exactly. But uh, so like, it's okay if it's challenging. It's even okay if it's stressful sometimes. But like, I want, I want to set up submissives for success. And I want them to, you know, um, I don't know, feel like they're winning the DS game. In some, in some way. I mean, we're playing two different DS, DS games. A perfectly normal thing to want. Exactly. <laughs> but I think I also think we're playing two different. Like I win a dominant DS, and submissives win at submissive DS, right? Like they we win different things. It's different <laughs> benchmarks. They're different games, right? So it's not like winning against me. If them, if they win, I don't lose, right? Right. They're not um, bratting. They're not trying to win against you. Well, sometimes they are, but that's a different. <laughs> That's a different game. game. That's a different part of the game. <laughs> That's a different, different scenario entirely. But so um, one of the concerns that comes up frequently when I'm teaching about this is people get worried about the impact on their partners who are not as into DS. Like they've discovered that they're into DS and opened up previously existing relationships to be able to explore this with someone else who's into this and so they're like concerned about this rippling across their network and in a way you've addressed this by pointing out that like a ds relationship should ideally not be impacting the other relationships in your network and this touches all of the relationships in your network right it means you shouldn't be impacting vanilla relationships in any particular way you shouldn't be impacting other relationships that are kinky but not particularly power exchangey, right? Like, well, I'm not sure if I would say it shouldn't be impacting. Like, I think, I think even having harm. another, yeah, <laughs> yes, I do think I would hope it it's not harming and it's not getting in the way of um the intimacy or the or the connection that those of those other relationships like, you know. And I think it can have a big impact. And I think just an impact can seem negative, mm -hmm. even though it might not actually be taking away anything from that relationship, you know? Um, I mean, the same is true if you're talking about a, a, some, a couple opening up and someone being more interested or, or more, um, just more, I don't know, successful at dating right? Like it can right. seem like it has a really negative impact, but like there's that kind of learning curve in, in polyamory and opening in general of like, oh, this isn't actually about me, you know, not, this isn't actually about what you're doing. This is about me not getting my needs met and like, what are my needs and how do I get them met in this relationship, right? right. Just that in that someone has found a new need that they're getting met, that their other partner isn't involved in, that can almost feel negative at the beginning when it's a neutral thing totally. occurring because yes. they're not involved in this new interest or activity. Yes, yes. And so I That's think a great way to when put they're it. working through that can have like a little bit of a stumbling block there even if you're being careful to kind of keep things in a neutral place right in terms of like direct yeah absolutely and and um i think that 
like uh, people get really into the fantasy and the idea of DS and navigating the like practicalities of day-to-day -day DS are often very, very different. And like, um, I probably one of the things I tell my clients or, or um, people in workshops the most is just slow the fuck down, right? Slow down. Like, and that's true in polyamory too, right? Like I imagine you tell clients and, and folks that a lot, like um, someone might be like, you can have all the areas of control, you know, tell me, tell me what to do for everything. It's like, <laughs> that's not a place. That's not a starting place. Is it an ending place? Not for everyone, <laughs> uh, for some people maybe, but like not for everyone. And um, I think uh, much like the uh, idea of the polyamory, like the relationship escalator in polyamory, sometimes I talk about the DS, de-escalator, <laughs> not like DE, right, like no, to de-escalate, but the DS escalator. Yes. yes. Where like, there's this assumption in DS that we're going, we're, we're, we're going to start with, you know, a hot scene and we'll, or maybe a date, whatever. I don't know. It depends on how people start. And then we'll write a hot scene and then we'll start with, uh, and then we'll go to like more areas of control and then we'll have protocol and then we'll have, you know, um, restrictions and we'll have permission and we'll have like, uh, and then we'll be moving up and up this escalator until we get to like 24 seven total power exchange, all the areas of control all the time. 24 seven. I'm Maggie Gyllenhaal in secretary. Exactly. Exactly. And, and like, I'm sorry. That's a fairy tale. Yes. Very much a fairy tale. And, and there are people who like live into the, that fairy tale. Like that is a thing that people do and, and can do. Um, it does exist in the world. Like I know those households, very few yes. of them, but I do know them, but like yeah. also very few of them. I'm in a DS dynamic that like is part of my life all of the time. But you know what? It just means that I send a text message before I masturbate. It does not mean that like <laughs> right. the rest of my life is particularly heavily impacted. Right? Does it mean you can't get out of bed until they tell you get out of bed now and no, walk 20 steps to your door? In the morning. Right. Like, Which they could, but like it would, you know. It would be a big it's... drag. Like we both have children separately from one another that we have to parent. That's a lot of work. Sure. It is a lot of work. Uh, uh, frequently tasks like that are just actually impractical. It might, they might be sexy and hot and fun and a nice idea, but they're, it's often very impractical. Um, and so like the difference between that 24 seven total power exchange kind of fantasy at the top of the escalator and, and the ways that power dynamic and power exchange communities really hold that up as like the model of DS and the model of power. Um, is is really challenging and problematic just like the relationship escalator and polyamory assuming that that is the goal that we're getting to like that might be the goal for some people or some relationships and and likewise the 24 7 total power exchange might be the goal for some people or some relationships but being able to communicate about that to think through and experiment around like, is that where I'm going or not? Like, is will that fit into my life? What are the practicalities of, of managing that as a dominant or uh, uh, living that under that kind of obedience as a submissive? Um, frequently the, the fantasy is much more 
much more fun than the reality and um and and it takes a ton of work so like thinking about the escalator and similarly with the polyamory escalator or relationship escalator um being able to go like up and down it right like having it be a staircase instead of an escalator and going like oh you know we added more protocol the last month and i'm finding that it's really stressing me out and i would really like to go back down one step and take some of these off my plate right like having that flexibility and the ability to to de-escalate in the other way um, um is such a valuable and important skill and i think those like times when we are having having relationship check-ins and relational reflections about like, what are the things that we're doing? Are they working? Is, am I leading my best life here? Like, am I able to be my best self in this dynamic? You know, those are the things that I'm interested in and, and uh, aware of as a dominant in my personal life and also with, you know, with clients and in my teaching. Right. We're not trying to fully ice bucket challenge people by saying this, but also it is extremely unlikely that you're going to end up in like a DS quad where you're all like deeply entangled living in one house, all serving the same person with deeply entangled protocols that like you do daily, living your very, very best deeply enslaved lives. It's super possible, but not super likely either as it, a form of polyamory or as a form of DS. Possible, it takes a lot likely. of work. There's yeah, yeah. so much work involved, so much negotiation involved. Absolutely possible if it's the thing you're seeking and everyone's really compatible. And so yeah. much trial and error involved and so much resilience involved. Like right. people have to really be able to stay up and with down it. Several times on the way there and you're going to have all of the trials and tribulations of every possible long-term relationship issue on the way there. Right. Plus all the r relational edge play of polyamory and DS, which like brings There's up all the more, right, like attachment things and, um, you know, bad behaviors or, you know, ha uh, bad habits that like we thought we could hide or have always hidden, you know, it's, these are like, I, I absolutely think about both of these structures as relational edge play and the ways that we, um, the ways that they kind of peel our skin back, you know, and really show our flaws and our challenges and the ways that like, uh, our, our shortcomings, you know, um, I, I think that, I think it's a, it's a true serum <laughs> and, and, um, people really get to know when they can stick with it. Right. And, and keep developing that resilience and keep like, demonstrating that re resilience and staying and staying and not necessarily staying in one relationship but staying with the practices of these relational edge play pieces like that we get to know I think from I'll just speak for myself I have been able to get to know myself so much more than um I ever did when I was in you know egalitarian monogamous relationships and um and I find that very much true of the partners that I have in the community, my good friends who have these kind of things too. Right. There's a level of self-awareness that's required when you're being vulnerable with multiple people repeatedly. And the level of vulnerability that's required to admit the things that you want that are non-normative in these power structures, right? Yeah. Because it's really vulnerable to admit that you want to control someone in specific ways, even though you're the person in power. Absolutely. Right? And to admit the places that you don't want to take power is really hard.
right? Like, yeah. And it's really hard to continue to be responsible with the power that one has and continue to um, track and show up for the the like management that that takes. It's, it's all very vulnerable. And if, you know, if I am not so much a detail oriented person, uh, or perhaps my brain gets very scattered, or perhaps I'm neurodivergent, I have, I do actually have some up some healthy dose of ADHD, like uh, it'll, it'll show all of those things. Like it will reveal those things. It will, it will find the cracks and, and like exacerbate them. Right. Right. This is not just a vulnerable practice for the people on the S side of the slash. This is a vulnerable practice for all of us. And we're all engaged very closely with one another in doing these vulnerable things. And we all then decide that on top of this, we're going to engage in a relational style that says our partners can have other partners. We do all of the additional emotional vulnerability of allowing for that and of dealing with all of the emotions, good and bad, right? Of seeing the sort of joy of watching them find joy with other people and the difficulties of watching them find joy with other people. Yes. Yes. And so it really is, as you said, sort of peeling a layer of skin back sometimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that, okay. I have two notes from that, from that piece. One is um, if people are listening to this uh, the week that it comes out in September, 2023, I am teaching a course for a, a workshop for Wicked Grounds on, on September 26th, which is called the vulnerable dominant. So um, if you want to come and, think more, talk more, you know, get some support for the vulnerability of dominance um, and how, you know, talk about paradoxes that can seem like another paradox. And so um, we'll be, you know, sharing, I'll be sharing some tools and and working on that on, on the 26th of September. Is that what I just said? 26? I believe so. And you have managed to bring up my entire identity as an edge player um, through this by talking which about is vulnerability is emotional edge play mm. uh, well by calling this emotional edge play a couple of times i'm teaching at wicked grounds the week before you um teaching negotiation for edge play uh in which i include a bunch of forms of what i call mental and emotional edge play um so both kind of classic difficult topics to talk about and then also things that are different kinks that people don't always consider edge play because they're not literally people getting out knives or difficult things, but like hypnosis and age play and all of yes, the, yes. all of the topics that are like kind of dangerous if you don't know to ask people questions about what they're talking to you about. Sure. Um, uh, that is a really good point. And I think even earlier when you said, uh, when you mentioned in passing um I think having two daddies at the same time I think that's what you mentioned um the um I was thinking about that and the ways that uh is you know this is a little bit of a maybe personal pet peeve or soapbox moment um but uh I think about the the ways that we the ways that kink has really um normalized especially the role of daddy um mommy still less so like there's uh there that is less common I see it less commonly I mean I know plenty of mommies and there's wonderful mommy 
resources and teachers and, and people out there, of course, but like um, as a whole, I still think that it is more common for the to see daddies in the kink community and for that to be a really normal thing. And, um, and I do think it's actually really edgy. And I think that it's um, not necessarily something you know, for beginners, uh, something um, to jump in light, jump into lightly. And, um, and I don't know, I, I think in some ways, I wish there was more content warning things for, uh, or just like content notes for uh, daddy or age play content in places, because um, it can be one of those subjects that is just incredibly off-putting to people really hard for people yes and off-putting or because it's related to actual trauma yes. they have because so many people have childhoods that involve difficult things either familially or with uh, other figures in their childhoods uh, because they're victims of child sexual abuse or for other reasons right and like i don't want to take that lightly with folks but like right so it's a big part of my relational history that I also don't want to like sweep under the rug when I'm talking about reasons that like in dynamics this was an issue for me is because two people yes. wanted the same honorific that was the honorific they both wanted right like, right yes and same like I I, I am a daddy I I don't even know if I would say I identify as a daddy I am a daddy and I I kind of in a lot of ways like can't not be a daddy like it you know it's it's very it's very woven in to my sense of self in lots of places and ways, like not just in in DS dynamics. I mean, I, you know, I do my best not to daddy anybody who doesn't want to be daddied. Right. But like, but, it, but they're just people who are kind of, yeah, but there were just people who are just a little more on the, like a nurturing of center or like daddy of center or whatever. Right. Like, and that's just kind of where I fall. Um, So like, of course, I don't want to, I don't want to not talk about that or not be open or not you know, um, share that when I'm talking about myself too. And I, I, I guess I think it's a little, it's just a little frustrating to me. This is where the like pet peeve soapbox comes in that, that like, that kink has normalized that so much that it's just such a given that people don't even really think about it as edgy. Um, and I think it's edgier than people think. Uh, and, uh, on that note too, um, I, I went through a whole process and I, I would probably prefer not to talk about the whole process, but like the, <laughs> uh, but there are some things on Sugar Witch uh, that people can read if they want to um, around the language of master and slave. Mm -hmm. And so um, ultimately uh, I've very much decided that that's not language that I'm going to use in my personal relationships. And um, I don't use the, the words like in my erotica anymore and I don't um I, I just I, I again I just think that it is edgy but it's but um but not necessarily for the because of the power dynamic part I mean yes it is edgy for that too um there's but so culturally Yes, and there's so much of a lack of resolution with the United States' history in particular around those words. And um, at this point, I, I feel that there's too much in there for me to use them. And I, um, I could, you know, fill a whole podcast or 17 about all of the things around that. But um, 
I just, I guess I just want to flag that too, because I think you mentioned, I can't remember what the, what it was you were just saying. Uh, I think it was when we were talking about total power, like the de-escalator and the yes. total power exchange and the like fantasy of, you know, being quote enslaved. Yes. yes. And that is. I've um, met people who that's their. Yes. And please, and have that fantasy. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with having the fantasy um, or even seeking the reality. I think I just want to put an asterisk on the words and think of hard about like the ways we're using these words and particularly me as a white person in the U.S. in this time period. Um, mm -hmm. Personally, I have, that's the, that's the side of it that I have fallen onto. And people, you know, people get to make their choices. Like, I'm not here to tell anyone what they should or shouldn't do. Um, but for myself, I've just seen too much of the impact of having that language be very casual in the kink communities. Mm -hmm. uh, and and that matters to me. No, well, that's a really good point. I like I don't use it for myself, but I see it used a lot this in context. Yeah. And I try yeah, me to keep it to the like, this is what I see as the peak of these fantasy worlds because like right. that's right. where I think it actually kind of should remain at present but I respect mm. that some folks truly do use it as their whole dynamic right I do too uh, and there are whole communities built around that language right there's um uh, a very well, I don't need to go into it too much, but there's there's a whole subset of the King community that is built around that language. And I have spent a lot of years there and it has been very, very valuable and taught me so much. Like a lot of the folks who are involved in those communities have so much knowledge of long-term, like, uh, you know, 24 like, seven so uh, total power exchange. Yeah, that. there's so much history. There's so much psychology. There's so much like strategy and, uh, uh, knowledge, interpersonal and personal development work that happens. I mean, I've gone to workshops on like organizing, preparing for your yeah. partner's death and like, because, you know, for as, as like, well, I was going to say as elders, but also as anyone, frankly, like, um, you know, what you should do and what kind of legal things to get in place. So many widely like spiritual aspects of it, like, you know, incorporating different aspects of BDSM, uh, running a household, like making a household binder to like run a household, like being the like more, you know, major domo of the house, like kind of thing, anything. There's so many things, so much knowledge in that world. And I'm, I found so much value there. Um, and it's, yeah, it's been, a, it's been a challenge to both step away from the language and figure out how I relate to that community. But this is slightly a side topic to um, DS and polyamory, which we can go back to if there's anything else. Right. In general, um, to kind of swivel around back, we've got, I think, a lot of ideas around DS and polyamory end up sort of either romanticizing one aspect of it or the other, right? Like, folks end up with these two ideas in conflict because they're over romanticizing mm. one idea or the other they're either very bound into this idea of like i've over romanticized the idea of my power exchange and my control or i've over romanticized the idea of now we're polyamorous and we're going to be very autonomous and very egalitarian and so they have trouble 
making that into real life where neither thing is really true right where all these things are true at once because two things can be true at once in real life uh, that is the kind of the definition of paradox isn't it right like two holding two opposites at the same time and having them both be true i mean but isn't that also how nuance works yes yes it is yes i think i think uh i think paradox is what's seemingly contradictory as opposed to nuance being more like, but yes, I absolutely. And I think that um, seeing more nuance and seeing more and being able to hold paradox um, is one of the ways we demonstrate resilience and is one of the things that people learn and like are just better, better able to do as they get older, frankly, and like have more wisdom and have more lived experience and, uh, and resiliency and like, yeah, I don't know. I think some of it is time too. Too personal a question to ask you what brought you to polyamory and power exchange at the same time? Was it chance? Was it that you were in power exchange relationships and landed in more than one of them? Well, it's not too personal. It. <laughs> no, totally, totally. Uh, it's no, it's not too personal. I mean, I write about my sex life on the internet. Like, well, it's sure, not. But, that but yeah, that but of course, there's personal. Always, always. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, it's having like, not figuring out what my boundaries are around what is too personal when I write about my sex life on the internet has That's been a whole process part. too, right? Yeah. Um, I have been identifying as and like came to a, a, some sort of open relationship identity uh, more than 15 years ago. Now it was like the maybe 2007, eight. <clears throat> um, and then would kind of slide into what would end up being mostly monogamous relationships, monogamish relationships, at, yeah. Um, and like what ultimately did it? Fuck, I don't know. Um, it, uh, it's been, a, it's just- question. Yeah, yeah. Like it's not, it wasn't like I just woke up one day and was like, oh no, I'm in multiple relationships, <laughs> right? Like I, you know, that's not Look, usually how I it happens. Did that. That's why. I oh yeah. Well, it does. I mean, it does kind of happen. It's kind of like how sometimes people wake up and go, wait, was that, did I just have lesbian sex last night? Like am I a lesbian? Right? Like sometimes you do actually do the thing before you come to the identity. Um, I, uh, yeah, when uh, my most recent partner, my ex and I got together, we were both um, in relationships with other people and um, ended up, you know, together for more than a decade and like had a kind of, had a, 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 a flat, like an open to monogamish, to open to monogamish kind of back and forth um, thing around our, around our decade together. Um, and so in part, it was coming to relationship with them that, um, that, that really flexed more of my muscles of combining the two. Um, before that, I had some experience with both, but not a lot with both, at both of them together. Yeah. Right. And so it just felt like this was working at some point. Yes, no? Yes, resilience. <laughs> <laughs> was it working? We have slight gags here, folks. <laughs> <laughs> was it working? I'm making a face. That's, That's a different the wrong That's question. 
or the good question, the hard <laughs> questions, right? Uh, you know, of course, I mean, so much of it worked for so long and also we separated. So some of it didn't work. And um, some of that my like- It didn't work. It just means well, at some point you decided to do other things. Sure. Um, I will take answer. That's delightful. And I, I love, I wish that I could say that that was true, but also I think ultimately some of it didn't work. And, um, and I think that that has, you know, I've been in through many like dark nights of the soul kind of, kind of things around that, trying to really reflect on and, and uh, understand my behavior and the ways that my inclinations impacted that, you know, like what, what my part of it was, because of course, part of it was me and part of it was them. Right. And, um, and uh i have deep love for them and i i wish them the best and you know it's uh still lots of grief and heartbreak and like um i think we did the best we could with what we had and i feel like some of what i continue to teach and and coach with and you know guide other folks around are like the hard le the lessons I learned the hard way um and they're also right like my just because I learned this particular lesson you know of ABC in red doesn't mean that you don't need C D E in purple so like there's some overlap but there's not it's not the same so um I I've always thought like the personal is political but also the personal is um, some of the best ways that I know to pass on the hard the, the knowledge that I've learned because there just aren't that many books on it and there aren't that many um, podcasts on it and there aren't that many like resources not more now certainly than when I was starting right, with um, ago, or or 20 when I was starting in like exactly. DS and and kink or 15 you know mm -hmm. so there's definitely a lot more now but um but so much of what I the like practices that I do are such kind of unprecedented well I mean not actually there's so many people who have come before me who have done this right but but uh nobody wrote it down very few right very few and um and I lament the like kind of change and end of personal blogging I mean you know I still believe there's a place for that online for sure but it has made such a big shift in the last 10 years because there were some really good like polyamory and DS blogs of uh, people just talking about their own life that um yeah, I see a lot less of now I mean yeah. right there's a lot more of that on social media but it's also very different with the amount of noise uh, in social media to like follow someone in the same way so mm -hmm. No, I agree with you. And like, I started my blog in 2020, despite the fact that personal blogs are like impossible to follow now, um, for basically feeling that same kind of way. Um, and I also sort of started teaching classes because I was like, hey, I have fucked up a bunch of relationships in ways that people might find entertaining and educational. Um, I do okay at this. Yeah. I do some things that people find interesting and difficult in um, pretty reasonable ways that are relatively safe. Let's talk about them. Uh, and so I started teaching at my local kink spaces and then it snowballed. 
Yeah. Um, yep. I totally know what you mean. That's about how like, Sugar Witch started too, but just in 2006 instead of. Right. And I was like, yeah. there's a pandemic. Uh, every white man can have a podcast. So can I. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. So here we are. And so here we are. I'm and what's sorry, this is I the beginning of season uh, seven? Seven? Get out. Wow. I'm sorry that I've asked you the depressing question to close our episode, but I'm going to put on the silly rose-colored glasses to end with a slight gag. Love the rose-colored glasses. Why don't I have rose-colored glasses? I no never... one but us will see them. Um, That's okay, but it's still delightful. But it's great. <laughs> it is. It is delightful. Thank you. Well, um, I could, we could talk about erotica for one minute or two minutes as Absolutely. a, instead of as a, um, instead of, of a, on a depressing note. Absolutely. Well, I don't know if it was, I don't think it was that depressing personally. Um, like, I, you know, it's, it's heart, it's heartbreaking. It's, hard. heart, it's very hard. And it's, and I am definitely up and down with lots of grief frequently, but like, right, it's right. also part of the truth and it's it part of the, you know, the reality of, both resilience and like the risk of you know relational emotional edge play right and just relationships in general um I saw a great I think it was a Louise Gluck quote let me look and see if I can find it real quick the other day that said um uh why love what you will lose question mark well there is nothing else to love because we will lose everything we will lose everything and like, how dare we be human? It'll be heartbreaking anyway. It will. It will. It just is true. And, you know, going through life, avoiding heartbreak has never been my goal, right? Like that is not, that is not my life motto or my life mission. It might be some people's, but, um, and I, you know, respect that, frankly, if that is true, but like, um, that is, that is, that is, I, I'm, I'm way more likely to put my heart on the line. Right. You've got one wild yeah. and precious life. You're going to go get your heart broken a little so that you can enjoy the moments before that. Yeah. Right. I'm going to make a pouty face about that, but yes, <laughs> but yes. And, um, you know, I just find so much delight in <laughs> queer, you know, kinky sex, like in queer kinky uh embodied you know mystical like fucked up <laughs> uh adult play in uh, of all kinds but like especially of the like and I bedroom that, kind. like for me that kind of stuff is like my spiritual experience right yes, like same. I don't yeah. I don't do organized religion um anymore I was raised mm -hmm. in a religious family and that's not my bag. Um, yep. But kink and sex and like making all of that into play and like sort of losing myself in those experiences is my spiritual experience at this point, right? Like getting to the point where even if it's like a careful, even if it's like the most carefully negotiated parameters, losing yourself in that seen in that experience and that those moments yes is my like practice right like getting to that point where it is deeply embodied and where you are sort of whole and in yourself is a real yes. deal for me yes um and so i've always found that that's part of why i gravitate into these kink communities whenever i move cities i find the people around me not just so that i can like 
find my friends who do the weird stuff, but because doing that reconnects me to the other people who want to do the things that I find so central to my life. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And being, being in that flow state really when like things are just cooking and on fire and working well, um, is just like what you're saying, like one of my biggest experiences of feeling kind of connected to all that is connected to like the greater you know human unconscious or um the the great big good or the the like energy that flows through us all or whatever kinds of ways we want to kind of define that um or or name it um and like sex and kink as a spiritual practice has been central to me for for many decades now for about 25 years um i'm all i'm part of a of an arts collective called Aerosomatics, which is um, an embodiment uh, collective and where we're, we put on workshops and um, we're working on a podcast actually that is gonna pick up again. Um, it, and I'll, I'll put that link in the show notes also if people wanna sign up for the mailing list there and get you know notified about when we're gonna be doing. I've been part of a couple of other organizations that, that do that kind of work with, uh, sex kink spirit uh retreats and and like weekend workshops and things like that and um this one is um still getting off the ground but i'm very excited about it I, the the folks who are running it there's a, a collective of six of us and they're just folks i've worked with for many years and really respect and admire <clears throat> and it's very queer i mean we're all queer we're all gender radicals in some form or another you know we're all um uh a very like dedicated group of folks um who are being as conscious as we can be about like bodies and and the differences of all kinds of bodies right and from like neurodivergence and skin color and race and ethnicity and like background and financials and uh physical ability just like so many different things that we're pouring all into the pot um with the with the purpose of like uh transformation really using using energetic using moving energy as a as a way to transform things um and even to go you know bring it full circle um going back to the the hard questions and the emotional questions like i, I still find in this time of like grieving and and changing you know this big transformative period right now like being with and in queer kink sex uh erotic like um ordeals and rituals and um uh and just like fun for funsies play you know uh it doesn't always have to be like not everything has to be a hosier song <laughs> well maybe it does for me a little bit sometimes but you know i go back and forth Energy is a song always, but like... oh my god i'm i am obsessed you're hitting on all my faves right now this is amazing uh yeah so so but i found that queer kink like sex and kink are the ways that i best move energy and when i am stuck in grief or in despair, um, if I can, you know, be with people who I trust to help me move that energy, it is, that is the thing that helps move it the best. Um, sometimes I can do that by myself. I can do my own practices around writing or meditation or, or 
like solo sex, you know, masturbation play or whatever, but like, or, or, or like other physical things, I don't know, going for a hike or blah, blah, blah. But like, mostly it's around sex and kink for sure. For sure. And I, I, you know, I think a lot of queer folks and like, and I'm, I'm using queer very broadly here, you know, um, a lot of people who have, like, I don't know, non-normative sexual practices also, like whether or not they might, I would like they everyone fall. to know that we keep putting non-normatives in non-normative in air quotes every time both of us. Why do we do it. that? But I think both of us know <laughs> that it's the term we should be using, but also feel very weird about using it because we're like, it's just our lives. Right. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, I think yeah, I think um uh I think the folks who are having these kind of sex lives, right? Where we're like combining um DS and kink and polyamory and power exchange and you know uh sex uh, spirituality and like uh whatever level of sex is in there whether it's asexual spectrum stuff or not um like we're having some life-changing radical shit in our war in our lives and we have like really bucked the overculture to like uh make this like bespoke custom you know sex kink body experience and um I really want to see more people writing about that and like recording their sex life I mean not not necessarily this is literally what I did last night although that's great too but like recording their fantasies recording their um uh ideas recording their transformations like 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 articulating what it is like to have had ha be having those experiences or or have them or want them right because so much of the like this is gonna sound ridiculous but like porn is boring and we have to be the like porn we want to see in the world and i don't mean in a like add ourselves to amateur sites way although like if you really feel like it go for it, i'm not trying to shame or stop anyone but like if you want like spicy writing in the world make it provide it give it to all of us feed me please <laughs> i want to read more of it if you like right. to record yourself right. reading your writing i want to hear all of it my little ear holes are waiting please Please. yes same me too I want things in you want them in audio that's your favorite oh, it's my although audio ridiculous like because I don't want audio of anything else you only want erotica audio yes everything else want... I want in written format to read um, I see, I but see. I'm I'm a problem I understand that my preferences I'm... are no one else's preferences I want everything but... else in red format I want no videos I want no audios I just want to read articles you want text erotica and, and audio, audio erotica I mean but lots of people want audio erotica right yes, whether or not exactly. they so also that, at least I'm in a mainstream ish <laughs> yeah. so I'll take that it's on it's so on the for something because I'm not for anything else <laughs> so on the rise right like it's so the audio erotica there's all these apps there's a bunch of anyway well, most but of it's um terrible I, it's like mm. I agree with you. Like, That's a different it's not topic. As, bad as the like, no step grandfather son. <laughs> what? It's in mainstream porn. Every if you just call oh someone step whatever, it no longer counts in mainstream porn. And you have to pretend that people are stuck in washing machines. <laughs> That's all I've learned <laughs> from attempting to uh, look at real uh, porn. <laughs> it's not worth it. 
I well, we, I will say that one of the my favorite roles amongst my lovers and friends is as a porn curator where I will find them the like porn so that you they find want. Actual porn, and that's great. Sometimes. Me and my I didn't, usually I don't make it, yes. Joke about how bad porn is. It is bad. Yeah. And joke about the orgy that we're going to have where the theme is porn tropes and partway oh, through good. someone's going to ring a bell and then you get to enact a new trope that's amazing everyone has to feed into the trope as soon as the bell goes off that's amazing so it's going to be like hats bad accents washing machine <laughs> amazing that sounds so delightful I have, well, speaking of audiobooks, I'm working on recording my um, my book called Sweet and Rough, which is Queer King Erotica, um, as an audiobook. It is halfway done, and we'll see when that come when that completes. I mean, I have like three or four projects on my plate before I can get to that, as as per usual. But that is that is hopefully in the next uh, six months. It was. Tease. It was my goal to have it by the end of 2023, but we'll see how that happens. Um, you know, see aforementioned grief timeline. Everything is yeah, a molasses moving. slog and, yeah. you know, just slow and what it is. Um, and I have an erotica writing online group that's coming up. So if you are listening to this in September-ish when it is, uh, September 2023 when it's coming out, um, you can go check that out at writingspicy.com and um, it has information on what the group is and how to sign up and uh it's been I've, I've run it I think this might be the sixth time I maybe have lost count now I started it um in 2020 although I've been teaching writing for a long time uh but this particular you know iteration of things is new and um it has been so delightful to read so many queer and kinky and you know neurodivergent and disabled and like other kind of forms of marginalized folks like looking in um from the edges uh and just what they're actually thinking about and what their lives are like and what their or their fantasy lives are like I, you know we kind of separate the the author from the narrator of the story as part of our guidelines but um it is a, such a delightful experience um it starts in october i think october 5th is the last day to sign up and um writingspicy.com has has all the more info on that thank you so much for coming and for talking with me i know we wandered a little bit from the original topic but i've been really pleased to chat with you all day uh about polyamory and ds and about all of these sort of related topics it's been really wonderful having you thank you so much so one more thanks to sinclair sexsmith for joining us this week you can find all of their work at sugarbutch.net of a special note they've got their writing spicy series coming up starting at the beginning of October, October 6th. And you can find all of the details for that and the sign-up link in the show notes. For us here at Ready for Polyamory, I've got a class at Wicked Grounds on September 19th on negotiating for edge play. Sinclair also mentioned that they are teaching there the next week. So that link is also in the show notes. I know I'm inundating you with links this week. But if you're interested in these topics, we're running things. Go check them out. Um, and for us here at Ready for Polyamory, the retreat in November is coming up. If anyone is interested in joining me, I am with a small group of people heading out to the woods in Connecticut to do a lot of intensive work on communication and relationship agreements. 
if that sounds like something that you and a partner or a pair of partners would be really interested in working on, check out the website and the link in the show notes to get information on my Growth Cycles retreats. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks so much for listening, and I will see you here next week when I'm here with uh, Minna Dubin, the author of the book Mom Rage.